0: Welcome to the Back on Track Fitness Podcast, where we answer the tough questions on running, weightlifting, and general fitness. Hosted by Dr. Cameron Dennis and Dr. Eric May, physical therapists. Be sure to check us out at backontracktherapy.com for training programs and other resources. Now, let's get to the show. So, hello everyone. This is Dr. Cameron Dennis, physical therapist with Back on Track Therapy and Wellness, and your host on the Back on Track Fitness podcast, and today we have guest Mohamed Ramawi. Yep, that's correct. Thank you for having me, Cameron. (laughs) And uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, so my name is Mohamed Ramawi. I'm a practicing foot and ankle surgeon in New York City. Uh, I obtained my degree from the New York College of Podiatric Medicine, I did my training at uh, DeKalb Medical Center in Georgia, and then completed it at Jefferson Health in Philadelphia. And I returned back to my home state of New York, and I'm currently practicing in Grand Central, New York City.
0: Very cool. And it looks like you have a pretty decent following on Instagram. So what what got you into the, sort of the social media aspect of things? You know what what makes you? Because uh, a lot, of, I think, a lot of doctors and surgeons. Um, you know, they're not necessarily comfortable in that realm. So what what made you feel like you wanted to get out there and put your message out?
1: That's that's a great question, actually. Uh, I'm not a big social media guy. I, I don't have Facebook. I don't have whatever else is out there. I'm not sure what else is out there. But uh, when I came to New York, everybody around me told me, "Mohammed, you have to adapt to the times. And those times are social media. People look to these outlets for help. Uh, granted, there is a lot of misinformation out there and there's a lot of doctors or medical professionals misusing the handle. Uh, I think it'd be a good venue for you to go out and, and pursue. So my intention with Instagram specifically was, uh, a academic kind of page with a little bit of personal touch. And that's what I'm trying to do as, as far as that's concerned. It's been uh, so far a blessing. I've I've gotten a lot of good feedback. I've made some great referrals. So uh, I'm happy I did it. Uh, I think I'm just going to keep it to one social media handle though at this time.
0: Right, right. It can definitely get in over your head. Um, it can definitely add up quick. A lot of the responsibilities that you have once you start, you know, getting into these groups and, and creating groups and, and all these things. Um, but it looks like you're doing great. Uh, yeah, a lot of great content on there. So, um we actually do have some questions for you this morning, um, but before we get into those, uh, I had a question for you myself uh, but, yeah, you had mentioned that uh, there's a you know you had someone had mentioned to you that there's a lot of sort of misinformation out there mm-hmm. um, what what specifically do you see and I know we could probably talk about this for a long time, but was there anything specific that that you've seen that you want to? uh clear up right you know at the start here anything um just you know nagging at you that you'd love to talk about
1: you know I, the misinformation stems from a wide variety of things i think it's uh, professionals stepping outside their realm and providing advice on things they may not have the expertise on so when i see uh an internal medicine doctor uh advertising dermatological products i just feel like you know you should leave that to the dermatologist Or when I see foot and ankle surgeons talking about shoulder injuries, I just don't think it's in our realm to really speak of that. And unfortunately, we live in a world where the audience will take everything you say uh, bit by bit. And if you can't offer the best advice, then maybe you shouldn't be putting it out there. Uh, But as far as the podiatric realm is concerned, there's always the debate about uh, minimalism and barefoot training and running. So it's nice to see different uh, varieties of arguments that are out there. But sometimes I read these things and I go, well, that's, that's just completely inaccurate. Uh, and my biggest uh, preach or pet peeve is that when you're reading these things, you always want to do your homework and follow up on them. You want to ask what the research is and what's shown and what's been proven and not proven because anybody can make a statement and put it on social media. I could, I could make some barbaric statement, make it into a nice post and Use uh, intellectual words and people are prone to believe it, right? I have a white coat and I have the letters DR before my name. So uh, we have to be careful of what we receive as information and as clinicians, what we put out as information as well.
0: Wonderfully put. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, that is one of my sources of um, frustration is seeing some of these other groups um, and someone will ask, How how do I fix my plantar fasciitis? Mm And then you'll see 700 different answers. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, why are you asking this? This like random Facebook group, and like, uh, whose advice are you willing to take?
1: Like, <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, it's 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 like okay, I'm I'm looking at 700 answers, and I'm going to see which one is best. But necessarily, what you think is best may not be what's best for you. And I always tell people who reach out to me through social media. Uh, A proper evaluation is warranted. I I could tell you what I think may help or what I think you may have, but uh, you have to see somebody. I'd be steering you wrong if I told you I just know the answer right off the bat because sometimes things aren't always as what they seem. So, uh, you know, uh, social media is a great venue to get yourself out there to put general advice, you know, just general care, general uh, routine things. But I, I don't think you should indulge in specifics for social media.
0: Absolutely. Right. And I think that's what we end up coming back to a lot in our our group, um, the running injury support group, is that we always, it always seems that we're, if I had like a copy and paste of just the same sentence over and over, I would say, you know, it, it seems like it may be related to this. However, without a thorough assessment from a healthcare professional, there's no way to know for sure. And without knowing for sure, there's no way to know what's going to fix it for sure you
1: know. <laughs> no, I really couldn't agree more. And we, as, as clinicians, we have to protect ourselves, right? And, uh, let's just be frank. That's a way to protect yourself. Like uh, you need to be seen by a, a clinician. This has to be an in-person type of thing, uh, right. especially in our fields. You know, there's some fields where people are now doing visits through a uh, video camera and FaceTime. And for some times maybe that works, but I think in, in our realm where it's like really physical medicine, uh, it'd be tough to do that.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, especially, I mean, I could see how maybe you might be able to guide someone in the right direction to say, well, if it's, it may be something minor, um, mm-hmm. you know, but not necessarily do anything uh, definitive, um, you know, especially as a surgeon. I mean, I would think. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Even, even uh, when you give surgical advice, you know, surgical, surgery for me, I love surgery more than any, anything, but surgery carries its own risks. So uh, you have to make sure you, you have a proper candidate before you even indulge into surgery. There are patients that come in and, you know, they want surgery as, it's a, as if it's a quick fix But the reality of the matter, you don't know the way the wind blows. Uh, You don't know how someone's going to heal in comparison to others. So that's a full conversation. And for me and my clinic, if you even think about surgery, we're having a full visit just dedicated to talking about it. Right.
0: Right. And you certainly have a um, a unique perspective on that, you know, a different perspective than my own. Um, and, And a lot of the people that we've had on here on the podcast have been physical therapists just because you know, I guess that's who I talk to every single day, you know, and, and, uh, PTs do end up working with a lot of runners, but I am thrilled to have, you know, a surgeon on here. So, um, what I see a lot of times, and I would love to hear your perspective on this is, is that people do see surgery as the definitive end all be all. And so they want to skip over a lot of the, 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 the exercise and a lot of the more conservative treatments to get something that they they feel that they're competent will fix their issue.
1: Yeah, you know, and there are, listen, there, there's two ways to look at this. There are things where you can try conservative measures to avoid surgery. Uh, maybe three ways to look at it. One, there are things you can av- try uh, to avoid surgery through conservative measures. The, the second thing is there are things you can try conservatively, but as an experienced surgeon, you know it's going to head down to surgery, but you're going to give it a, a, a shot. Mm -hmm. And then there's three, that's the surgical emergencies where you just know that this person needs surgery. So there's some injuries that, uh, they may not be life or death or limb threatening, but you know, the quality of life is going to diminish, uh, greatly if you don't take them into surgery or the healing process is just going to change drastically. So Mm -hmm. we're talking about, you know, our list, Frank injuries, our Jones fractures in young, uh, healthy patients, you know, our Achilles ruptures with great gaps, These kind of surgeries, you know, you want to say you want to try conservative, but in reality, the research will say surgery is the best option. Uh, the first one where conservative measures haven't been tried, I think it's always worth it worth a shot. I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, you know, I've done this surgery a hundred times. Uh, let's just take you in. Sure. But I, I, I tend to trend lightly. Like, uh, let's try orthotics. Let's try physical therapy. Let's try brand new sneakers, whatever it may be, just to say we gave it a shot. Um, now, sometimes patients will come to you and say, I've tried all those things. And, you know, that, then that surgery is warranted, right? So if a patient came to me and said, oh, I, I've tried orthotics, I've changed my sneakers, I've done the physical therapy, I, I think I'm ready for surgery, then that's a discussion you guys uh, have.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think that uh, it is a good idea for people to try physical therapy first. You know, and I am interested to know your your thoughts on, when orthotics are a good when they're a good idea you know when when orthotics um how long people should be wearing orthotics you know and and, and in what situations wouldn't you do orthotics
1: yeah so orthotics are are multi-use you can use them for a wide variety of conditions and it's going to be patient dependent right so if a patient has uh, a different foot type so we're talking about from flat feet to high arch feet Or maybe, uh, you know, from hammer toes to bunions or wide feet or splay feet. All those conditions can be supplemented with orthotics, especially if they're in their shoes for a long period of time. Uh, So a lot of times uh, police officers here in New York will come for orthotics, firefighters, uh, business professionals, uh, runners especially will definitely come for orthotics. And the idea is that it's going to help support uh, the foot more than a sneaker would and also buffer some of the forces that uh, may occur with your foot type. I think orthotics can be a useful tool when used appropriately, absolutely. Uh, now, the generic type of orthotics, they're a good startup, the ones you get off the counter. Uh, but if you have a certain foot pathology, it may not address that specifically. So I think the recurrent theme here is going to be that's why a proper evaluation is warranted. You know, we mentioned this through the social media realm, but it, it happens here on the podcast realm as well. Uh, everybody's unique in their own way. So, and that doesn't differ in respect to your foot pathology and structure sure sure so,
0: so well, let's get specific here um mm-hmm. what about in terms of plantar fasciitis and now i know it would depend largely on the cause of plantar fasciitis um however is that something that you would do for someone long
1: term is yeah, to put I, I, yeah of course i, I definitely do it long term i think it's worth a shot so plantar fasciitis there's a million modalities for plantar fasciitis i mean and they probably all work that's the reality of it all right uh You know, from stretching to taping to shockwave to laser to whatever it may be. I'm sure they all have their own efficacy. But just like you mentioned, I want to try to find the root of the problem. So if the root of the problem is the the patient has lack of ankle dorsiflexion or they're in a fixed plantar flex position, I have to address the Achilles tendon. If the root of the problem is that they're flat-footed, I have to address that aspect and so forth. So once I figure out the root of the problem, then you can design the orthotic specifically for that issue. Uh, so I think plantar fasciitis absolutely is a, is a great, uh, pathology for orthotics, especially in the long run. The problem with orthotics, I, I would say is that once you get kind of comfortable with them, it tends to be a thing you're going to wear for a prolonged period. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily, I see many people putting on and taking off as, as, warranted. So when a runner uses orthotics, that tends to be the lifetime of their career. Uh, when a, a professional uses orthotics, they'll tell you once I come off of them, I don't feel as protected or as supported. And granted, the the higher or the more severe your pathology is, the more reliant you'll be on orthotics. But plantar fasciitis is definitely a good indicator for orthotics, especially if it's recurrent. Sure, sure. No, I I absolutely agree. Um,
0: And I think there's a lot of um, back and forth on uh, the benefits versus sort of, uh, the, I don't want to say risks, um, because I don't know that there are tons of risks of having orthotics. However, um, I think in general, um, there, we try to get people sort of to be less dependent on, on things like that, uh, as physical therapists, I guess. So we do a lot of like the foot strengthening and things like that. So in terms of, um, somebody who maybe doesn't want to wear orthotics do you do you feel how do you feel that they're able to um, transition out of those
1: uh so foot ortho it depends what they have right so again this is going to be on an individual basis so if you have let's say flat foot or posterior tibial tendonitis which is common thing for orthotics uh we supplement that with a medial support to kind of strain take strain off the tendon right Uh, so if you wanted to transition out of orthotics it would be posterior tibial muscle strengthening uh, exercises, right? And physical therapists have developed a wide variety variety of unique exercises to isolate and strengthen that muscle. Uh, this is that's plausible to me, uh, but it has to be a slow transition. You can't just quickly make that uh, jump. Uh, you have to slowly transition your way out of the orthotics and. To believe it or not, it it goes the other way around. You have to slowly transition your way into orthotics, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because here you have having this external object being placed in your sneaker and changing your foot structure. It's not comfortable at first and can be uh, detrimental if you use it too much too soon. So I usually Mm -hmm. tell patients, you have to break this in. You have to wear it for two hours, one day, then four hours the next day, then six hours. And then by the end of a week or two, you should be wearing it full time. It's going to be the same thing. Transition out of orthotics. If you just believe, I don't want to do this uh, again. It's going to be eight hours one day, then six hours, then four hours while you're doing your your exercises. Mm. Uh, so again, it's patient specific. But if you were to want to transition out of that, it should be a slow progress and uh, not done abruptly.
0: Sure, and I think that's sort of a um, a wide a widely seen uh, theme is is that the the importance of um, slow progression uh in terms of changing shoes and we can talk about this I'm sure we will when we get some of these questions here. Um but in terms of transitioning into shoes or even increasing mileage, um getting into strength training, I mean there's so many things that I think people just start start doing um and and with with very little um thought into how it might affect them. Um, so I think that's where we see a lot of injuries is when, when someone comes from a pair of um, ultra or, or oh, I shouldn't even say ultras because a pair of hokas, you know, the, the sort of cushion, you really supported um, shoes and then will transition their next pair of shoes will be a pair of minimalist shoes. And, you know, I think, I mean, I don't know if you've seen that type of thing, but I actually have a client right now who's dealing with that. <laughs> dealing with.
1: Yeah, I've seen leaders. it.
0: So when, up the chain.
1: Mm-hmm. when I first started, uh, minimalism was very popular here, and people would just transition abruptly to it. And right. uh, the practice experienced a high increase in stress fractures. Uh, right. We were just seeing them every day, maybe two to three a day, which is a little more than what we're normally accustomed to. And the recurrent theme was this abrupt, abrupt transition into a protective sneaker to more of a min- minimalist sneaker. So again, uh, one of the biggest reasons for injuries is overuse or improper footwear. Uh, Maybe 30 to 40% of my pathologies that I see here can be attributed to those two factors alone. So if we manage those, we could kind of manage the progression of the injury or condition. So if you were to transition from a protective sneaker to a minimalism shoe, It should be done over a long period. Uh, I think one study referenced that uh, the transition from protective sneaker to the Vibram specifically should be done in a transition period of over 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about something you do overnight. Right. Right. Um,
0: Yeah, that's exactly what we preach, too. Um, Do you generally have you taken people through that transition or is that something that um, you you sort of give to another healthcare professional, or, you know, what, what, what do you sort of recommend for that?
1: Yeah. So for the most part, I, I recommend per, uh, protective sneakers. I I, I don't re- go out and full recommend minimalism shoes at this time, just mm-hmm. because the research that's available to me or the ones I've been exposed to just don't uh, support it fully. Uh, that could change with times, you know, we, as we know, medicine changes, uh, a, a constantly what we believed 20 years ago isn't what we believe now and what we believe now might not be the thing we believe 20 years from now but at this point in time the research just overwhelmingly supports protective shoe gear uh, so I, I don't generally say hey you know let's transition you into a minimalist shoe but however if the patient is interested in transitioning making that transition it's a conversation we have and it stems around what we just talked about uh, previously The slow transition to minimalism shoes, Uh, first I would have them walk in it before I even tell them, oh, run your 10 miles in them, right? They have to just get adjusted to it. The bone density uh, has to get ready for the ground and pound it's about to endure. And then I always, always leave this by saying, be your own judge, because it's hard for me to be the clinician saying, oh, you're going to do five miles and you should be okay. I'm not sure when you're going to be okay. You may be okay at 10 miles. You may be not okay at one mile. Uh, the point right. is, be your own judge. If it feels off, then you should stop. Uh, it, you shouldn't continue. And that's a hard thing for uh, runners to grasp because runners really, they, they take their profession serious. They're one of the most compliant patients I have. They, they always want to be running, always want to be on the go. So th- you see them a lot fighting through their pain to get to the end result. Uh, right. And it's tough for me to tell them, hey, you have to put a pause because the, the goal here is longevity. Uh, there's no point in sacrificing these next two weeks if you can't run for the next 10 years. Right. So let's, let's just take this break for now. So we make sure you could run at full throttle later. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's, it's interesting that
0: you bring up research on the different types of shoes. Um, because I think there is sort of, I think there is evidence to support, um, minimalist shoes uh, and their effect on um, reducing injury. However, it's it's one of those things that there are, you can handpick studies for any given.
1: So, I love you said that. You, you know, when I was approach. doing my, my research in, in podiatry school, uh, the guy, the doctor who was kind of my main research man, he told me, Mohammed, if you want to find something on a particular topic, you will find it. If you want to believe that minimalism is bad, you will find articles. If you want to believe minimalism is good, you'll find articles. Exactly. So you kind of have to be the judge of what you read. Um, and that's, that's the scary part with research. For me, I just look for robust studies and studies that have the most prominent significant factors. Uh, th- those make the most sense to me. I, I, and, you know, you always look for the bottom of the study. It always says, you know, the doctors were paid by so-and-so or the doctors are consultants for so-and-so. So So if the doctor is a consultant or the researcher is a consultant for minimalism shoes and he's doing an article on how minimalism is great, I'm a little skeptical. You know, I'm I'm not taking that article as seriously as one would. Uh, Maybe the validity of it is great, but the fact that you're sponsored or you're a consultant for them just kind of loses its integrity to me.
0: Sure. Sure. And I think, yeah, that's, that's definitely a good point, I I think. um, But this does lead to a lot of confusion, I think, from uh, runners in particular or athletes who are looking to healthcare providers to sort of understand this research. And when we're hearing different things from different healthcare providers on, you know, whether it's social media or whatever in person, because we're all seeing sort of different research and, and those that we sort of agree with maybe we talk to them more often than you know what i'm saying you know it it seems like there's this sort of trend um towards supporting minimalism as a healthy option however i think for a a lot of people it's that would not be a good idea you know especially someone who has a high uh, sort of uh,
1: frequency of having a particular injury um, absolutely yeah if you have a certain foot type if your bone density isn't as well as another person's uh, you may be susceptible to more injuries than another person. If someone, yeah, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say minimalism hasn't worked for people. I'm sure it has because the people who do it thoroughly believe in it. Now, does that mean it's going to work for everybody? No, I don't. I, I just don't. Right. See it. And in my experiences uh, it's been the other way around now, granted I have a skewed perspective, right? Because people are only going to come to me in their time of need. Uh, not a lot of people will come to me and say hey I I just wanted to let you know that I'm doing great in my minimalist shoes okay have a nice (laughs) day it's not going to happen right people are going to come to me when they're injured Um, right and in my experiences I have seen an abundance of injuries from them and Mm -hmm. the research kind of confirms that that backing Uh, there are positive researches about minimalism but the my favorite one basically said hey if you wanted to uh, do minimalism sure it increases the mass of, uh, or the circumference of some intrinsic muscles, but it still has to be done over a long period of time. And I think it was 10 weeks. I, I don't quote me exactly on that, but I'm pretty confident it said it was a 10 week invert interval of, uh, transition from sneakers to minimalism.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think we're definitely on the same page with that In that it's not always black and white. You
1: know, I think people say either they're good or they're bad. And, I, yeah. I think that's and that's foolish. that's, that's kind of where I have my my problems with the social media posts on minimalism, because they kind of bash sneakers like, oh, you know, you guys are, are moving so backwards. Barefoot is the way we were meant to live and the way we were meant to be and and the whole nine yards. But uh, I think uh, as we advanced in medicine, we realized the, the usefulness of protective shoe gear or the usefulness of supportive shoe gear. Uh, just preventing you things from you know the hygiene aspect or the supportive aspect. Shoe gear has its benefits. You can't just sit there and bash shoes uh, right. because you believe in this thing so much. And I'm not going to sit here and bash minimalism because I believe in sneakers so much. I'm sure in the right uh, occasion, both have their benefits. For me as a clinician, uh, my job is to give the individual patient the best advice possible. So that's catered to each individual. So that's that's where we get caught up with social media. You know, if someone's writing this article about how amazing minimalism is, and now this audience member or this reader is going to say, oh, my God, I got to go buy out a pair of Vibrams tomorrow. Like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm affecting myself so bad. And then injures themselves. Uh, we did them a disservice, right? Exactly. Right. Perfect.
0: Do you mind if we go into some of these questions?
1: No, let's rock and roll. Yeah,
0: let's do it. Okay, so uh, and you don't have to give crazy long answers or anything like that because there are there are a couple of them. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, no, no. I appreciate uh, people writing them, and I hope to answer all of them just for taking their time to put it out there.
0: Great. Is there a time that you have to be finished? Um,
1: uh, I don't. I don't start clinic till twelve o'clock, so we have an hour and a half. Okay.
0: Great. Okay, so uh, Harmony Ray asks, "What's a good routine to care for the feet, as in keeping them strong and supple?"
1: Oh, I love that question. That's a great question, uh, Harmony. And I love the name, by the way. But uh, as far as feet, I I always use this analogy. You know, when we go to the gym and work out our chest, right? It's chest day. What do we do? We stretch out our chest first before we hit the bench, right? Uh, We never think about stretching our foot and ankle, although every day is foot and ankle day. You know, we're putting on five to (laughs) ten, ten thousand steps a day, Uh, We're walking over a hundred thousand miles in our lifetimes. No one ever thinks, you know what, let me give my Achilles a good stretch before I wake up today, or let me stretch out my plantar fascia or even my toes. Uh, So you want to be conscious of that daily, daily. And it's, it's, it's annoying. I get it. I know it's, it's tough to wake up in the morning, give a good stretch. Uh, in the middle of the day, if you've been sitting for prolonged periods, get up and stretch your Achilles, your plantar fascia. And before night, give yourself a, a routine stretch. But if you ha- develop this habit, uh, your prevention of injury will will increase, right? And that's, that's what you can do to uh, protect your feet and keep them strong and supple and away from injuries. Um, and then the second thing is what we talked about, right? A, a wide variety of the problems I see are due to overtraining and improper footwear. So you want to make sure you avoid those two things as well. I think if you combine those aspects, you'll, you'll be in good measures and hopefully avoid injury as much as possible. Now, granted, some things are unavoidable, but uh, this gives you a better chance at making sure nothing happens.
0: Right. So you mentioned a lot of um, stretching for different structures. What are your thoughts on um, foot-specific strength exercises? Is that something that you feel they should be doing in their training? Or do you feel like running itself – is strength enough, strengthening enough.
1: I'm I'm okay with barefoot training. I think barefoot training has its time and place for every individual. I'm okay with barefoot walking because uh the reality is shoe gear does uh decrease the the muscle integrity of your intrinsics in the foot, right? They're Mm -hmm. not used as much when you're in protective shoe gear. That was the point of their design. So if you wanted to increase their their strength, then yeah, barefoot training has its purpose, has its time. Barefoot walking also has its purpose and time. The problem with that is the, the line between uh, benefit and injury tends to be a thin one. And figuring out when I'm overdoing it can be super tough at times. And once you cross that line from benefit to injury, now you've kind of hurt yourself and set yourself back. So again, another theme here is everything within reason. Don't overdo it, uh, progress slowly with it. But yeah, absolutely. I think strengthening your intrinsics, why not? Who's, why would anyone uh, go against that? Right. Great. So
0: Rob Ogilvy um, says, how do you feel about orthotics? And I know you've already answered that for the most part. Yeah.
1: yeah, we mentioned it. And if Rob is listening, this is how I feel. I think it's an individual perspective. If you have recurrent issues or you have an unstable foot structure, then orthotics are of great benefit. And I have patients here who they've been wearing orthotics since they were 12. And the reality of the matter is if they didn't wear those orthotics since they were 12, and now they're grown adults, Chances are they're a surgical case because uh, posterior tibial tendinitis, which causes flat foot, is a progressive condition. It goes from flexible to rigid in a matter of time. And once it's rigid and it's affecting your daily life, you're looking at a surgical reconstruction, which we perform. So if you have a certain foot type or condition, orthotics are of great benefit. To figure out if they're of benefit to you, a proper evaluation is warranted. Great.
0: Dan Lorigan says, "Do PRP injections help with tendinopathy and retrocalcaneal bursitis?"
1: Yes, yeah, so PRP injections are great. you know they have their time and use. I tend to never use them as the main uh, source of treatment. It's more of an adjunctive measure for me, right? If I'm using PRP to cure you, Uh, I don't think that's proper because I'm not really doing anything for you. So in the terms of tendinopathy, you want to look for other things, right? Whether it be uh, support with orthotics or physical therapy, stretching, figuring out what's the cause of the tendinopathy. To supplement that with PRP to kind of expedite the healing, that makes sense. Uh, Same thing with bursitis. Uh, For retrocalcaneal bursitis, I would rather use a ultrasound-guided corticosteroid injection because the, bursa, the bursitis is located uh, between the skin and the, the fatty tissue. And if you have someone who's properly chained, trained and just put a, a couple of cc's of steroids in there, it'll completely uh, decrease immediately. You see the effects instantaneously for the most part within a couple of days. But you have to figure out the root of the problem before anything. So, yes, is PRP a good adjunctive measure? Sure. But again, that's just putting Band-Aid on the wound and expediting the treatment process. You have to find a main uh, treatment algorithm for your condition. Sure.
0: Michael Tatham says, ask him what shoes they prefer. When I saw a foot doctor several years ago, he quizzed me about running shoes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's all an individual basis and runners will come to me all the time with like five, six pairs of different shoes. And the reality of the matter is I tell them, well, which one do you feel great in? Because they offer, they all offer great support. Uh, My personal favorite, just from experience are ASICs. I think they, they, they're very supportive. They have different types of shoes for different types of feet. So that's my go-to, and uh, when someone's starting from scratch, I tend to give that uh, option. Uh, I'm not a consult with uh, ASICs. I have nothing to do with them. I just think they're very protective and well-made shoes. But as far as which sneaker gear or which shoe gear is best for everyone, again, it's the same theme. It's an individual basis, and based on your foot type will dictate what kind of shoe is best for you. Sure.
0: Claudia Smith says, how to handle a uh, callus under the big toe or on the sole of your
1: foot? Okay, so callus is just a pressure phenomenon, right? So if your body has undue pressure or overpressure, it develops extra skin as a protective mechanism. So yeah, you can t- shave down the callus or you could do a pumice stone or Epsom salt warm soaks. That'll all soothe in the skin, but it's not necessarily gonna treat the main problem. So you have to figure out why you're getting these calluses and chances are your big toe is what we call plantar flexed meaning it's hitting the ground more than it should be. And that's developing extra skin to build up there as a protective mechanism. And the way we combat that is with uh, offloading and padding and also orthotics. So the orthotics can be designed in a a way where they're not putting so much pressure on those areas. Now, is that going to treat your callus forever? Maybe not. But instead of them recurring every couple of weeks or every couple of months, it may change to every 12 months. And that's better than what you started with. But you have to figure. You have to understand that callus is just a response to pressure. The way to make sure that that callus uh, doesn't come as often is to take out the pressure. Sure. Good answer. <laughs>
0: uh, Chrissy Anthony Haim H A I M says, "How do you wean yourself off of orthotics once your injury is over and you have recovered?" And we mentioned this, but
1: yeah. We got into this and, uh, you know, depending on what the injury is, I may keep someone in orthotics as a preventative measure. Uh, if, they, if they're if they okay with that, I will keep them in the orthotic to say, hey, you know, your, your foot type warrants extra support. Maybe you should do your activities within orthotics. Uh, now, if you want to wean off of them for personal uh, interests, again, it has to be a slow progression. Uh, the same way you started orthotics, you wore them two hours one day, four hours the next, six and eight you have to wean yourself off the same way because if you do it too quick, quickly, you could uh, injure yourself. Right.
0: Shay Robertson says, can you ask about fifth toe joint issues? My chiropractor thinks my shoes were defective and have caused the issue. It was a new pair. The pain was on the outside of the foot. Ankle joint was locked up. Worst 10 mile race, still pretty tender. Have you s- seen shoes cause this? Um, they're skeptical. It doesn't seem to be a fracture.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you always can't rule out stress fracture, but that's a clinical evaluation. If they're suspicious for a stress fracture, they'll bring you back in about two weeks to repeat x-rays, uh, fifth toe joint issues. They tend to have this, uh, um, orientation of called adductal varus, meaning they're not perfectly straight. They're kind of curved and twisted a little bit. So every time you're walking, you're putting uh, extra pressure on the area And that causes an inflammation known as bursitis or capsulitis. So uh, the fifth toe is kind of unique. It's small, but when it's painful, uh, it ruins people's days. It really does. So I feel for you, Shay. Uh, That's going to be a specific uh, conversation and evaluation. It's tough to assess that over uh, online. But if you do have what's called the adductal varus deformity, shoes can exacerbate your condition, especially if they're narrow shoes, because they're constantly putting pressure on the area. Constant pressure on the area, your body reacts either to, like we talked about, callus or an inflammatory response, which causes the fifth toe to be red, swollen, painful. Um, You know, general advice is wide shoe gear, Epsom salt, and warm water until it calms down. Corticosteroid injections may be helpful if that's your diagnosis. But again, that's going to warrant an evaluation, and I'm sure any podiatrist would be willing to take care of you. Great.
0: Um, Pamela Toll asks, why do some podiatrists insists. So you have the answer for all podiatrists, just so you know.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why does some podiatrists insist people should always wear shoes for support and others back barefoot as much as possible? She says, I'm referring to daily life, not necessarily just running barefoot.
1: Yeah, you know, there's always two trains of thoughts. And all podiatrists mean well. Like, you know, I'd like to believe every clinician is trying to render the best care possible, okay? But everybody has different train of thoughts. Now, the idea of wearing shoes is it's a protective measure. It protects you against external objects. It protects you against things like hygiene of warts and fungus. And uh, last but not least, you know, it protects you against injury. But at the same time, there's no doubt that prolonged shoe gear will weaken the intrinsic muscles and ligaments of the foot so a nice balance between barefoot and sneaker wear will be of benefit now when i mean barefoot i the question is worded greatly she doesn't mean running barefoot walking barefoot can be of benefit alone yeah sure i you know i, I wouldn't recommend wearing sneakers all the time including inside the house uh, i think walking in sneakers outside you know when you're doing long runs makes sense and walking barefoot at home will have uh, some good effect on you as well
0: right and this is just my own little question for you the uh one thing i'm starting to see more and more and i think it's almost a fashion thing (laughs) is is uh infants with shoes and oftentimes they're wearing them long you know long duration during the day um what what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah I, i didn't know that i did you just you just uh blew my mind with that one uh you know i Here's the thing about podiatry it's such a wide variety, and there's so many subspectrums in podiatry. Uh, Pediatrics is not my specialty at all. Uh, I don't see patients that are are young, uh, patients that have questions like that for their kids, patients with club feet and other deformities of the kids, because if you kind of aren't trained for it, you can really affect the patient's life in a negative way. So uh, I'm, you know, I have no shame, and I've said this before to say, At times that I don't know, I will say I don't know. So when it comes to pediatrics, I kind of just stay away. If someone were to refer me a patient, I would just refer them into a pediatric specialist when it comes to podiatry.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So um, let's see. What did she say? What am I hearing about? Uh, Pamela Toll also asks, I wouldn't mind hearing some more about stride and strike options and why some elite – five beliefs. I think she's talking about, what are your thoughts on like heel strikes um, for, for runners versus like a midfoot or forefoot strike? Um, Do you find one stride that works best um, for runners versus another?
1: Not sure. Not, not really sure. I think uh, the runners put a lot of time and effort with their, their team, you know, whether it be the physical therapist, athletic trainers, uh, coaches, um, and uh, clinicians to figure out what's best for them. Uh, your body in, in itself, I could tell you biomechanical, was designed to heel strike first. What happens when you heel strike first is your body goes from a protective adapter to a mobile adapter. So when your your heel hits the ground, it hits it in what's called the inverted position at first, and that's a rigid lever. So it's your, your heel taking up the load, making sure you're stable enough to continue the kinetic chain. It goes from a rigid to a mobile adapter very quickly. We're talking about milliseconds. Uh, so for me, it would just make sense from a biomechanical aspect that heel strike would be the most protective and effective uh, mechanism for running. But again, that's going to be catered to each individual runner.
0: Right. And I, I think, you know, to support that, uh, something like 70 to 80 percent of runners do heel strike. So, mm-hmm. I mean, even even elite athletes, you know, uh, even with there being sort of a uh, popularity towards, um Sort of a midfoot, forefoot strike. Um, it's almost another one of those um, fads that people are, mm-hmm. are encouraged to find this this um, cadence of one eighty that will encourage them to do this sort of midfoot yeah,
1: strike. I would, I would, uh, I would tread lightly on that that train of thought. And again, you know, I, I've never experimented with midfoot, or forefoot strikes. But from a biomechanical and a scientific aspect, it just makes sense. You would uh, want to do heel strikes first. Sure. So
0: Lisa Allen Becker McCormick says, "Can zero drop shoes not minimalist, but those with cushioning such as Ultra cause uh, tibial stress fractures?"
1: Uh, It's tough to say. Um, The design of the shoe, maybe sure, but if you have extra problems, that may warrant uh, stress fractures. So if someone has lack of ankle dorsiflexion or uh, a high foot arch type, and they're a low foot arch type, I'm sorry. That can expedite tibial stress fractures. But to say that shoe alone caused it, eh, it's, a, it's a stretch, even for me, who, who likes uh, supportive shoe gear. Um, so again, it's, it's individually based. It's tough because everybody has their own foot type and the foot type's unique to each individual person. And sneakers and shoe gear are, are generic for the most part. So right. if I'm flat footed and I go into a neutral shoe, am uh, I doing more harm than good to myself? It's, it depends how, how bad you're flat footed. So it's the same thing here. If if you're neutral and you go into that shoe, did you expedite the uh, chances for a tibial stress fracture? Eh, it's tough for me to say yeah. But if you have other issues and you went into a shoe like that, did you expedite your chance for a stress fracture? I would say yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. I mean, it does depend on so many other things too. You know, training volume, you know. Sure, are they,
1: sure. Yeah, we didn't you know, even mention that. Yeah. Right.
0: Surface that they're running on. Their um, bone density themselves, you know. So many things. Yeah. Um, yeah um yeah so it's hard to pick out one thing and say does this cause it i would say it's probably a multitude of of
1: things yeah i agree completely absolutely
0: um she also asks uh should runners try to eliminate calluses as they develop or do they help to some extent
1: so we mentioned we touched on this uh briefly so calluses aren't aren't normal They're, they're your body's react they're your body's response to external pressure If there's too much pressure in a certain area in your foot, the body will build up extra skin as a protective mechanism. Uh, So you want to find out why you're developing calluses and prevent them from occurring. Calluses are not a good thing. You do want to shave them down. Uh, They can become painful and alter your gait mechanics. So now if you have these two lumps on either side of your foot, you're not planting your foot as natural as it should be. Uh, So I, I would definitely take down the calluses and then figure out why it's recurring. Um, again, because it's not a, a proper response. It's a response to undue pressure.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, that's something I hadn't really even thought about. Um, as as a runner myself, I've dealt with like a callus sort of on the uh, medial side of the, the, the big
1: toe, the great toe. Yeah. I've always yeah. had it. And I'm very <laughs> common. <laughs> and very, very common. So what happens is when you, you run or when you're hitting the ground, your foot unfortunately flattens and puts more pressure on the inside of your, your foot. And the most prominent area is the, uh, the big toe, the IPJ specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very common. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something, it's just the response to external pressure. It's a pressure phenomenon. If I could just beat that into people's heads, then right. it'll kind of make sense. Like, okay, well, I need to get pressure off this area then.
0: Sure, that makes sense.
1: Um,
0: Moisley uh, Usherwood says um, they're asking for exercises to stretch and strengthen the feet especially for aging feet that run on mountains. So is there anything specific to those running on um, sort of a more technical terrain, you think, something they might need to better prepare themselves?
1: You know, terrain, you have to have that grip strength, right, if you have that rough terrain. So foot strength is important. Making sure you have the proper shoe gear is ex- important. As far as specific stretches and, uh, and strengthening exercises, I 100% leave that to the discretion of the physical therapist. I mean, this is something you're, this is your specialty. Basically, this is what you guys do. This is what you you've been trained to do. Uh, My job is basically to uh, diagnose, assess and treat and refer you into the right hands. And in the right hands with that specific question, it would be yourself, uh, Cameron, that's, that's what I I would refer the question to you, honestly, if that's not putting you on the spot too much.
0: No, no, it's not. Um, Yeah. yeah, And we have, dozens of videos about strengthening um and stretches for the feet and the 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 calf complex um online however i would say anything that would help to build sort of stability of the medial lateral um ankle uh, and and to improve the strength of what we talked about earlier the um uh sort of the muscle that helps to support the the arch the posterior tibial tendon um posterior tibialis uh, as well as, I mean, I, I'm i a big uh, supporter of doing heavy strength training um, up the chain as well to help sort of take some of the load off of the, you know, so yeah, I no. guess in terms yeah. of if you have weak glutes, for example, um, you know, that may cause issues down the chain
1: also. So oh, I absolutely, uh, you know, let, uh, sorry to cut you off, but, you know, the the body is one big chain, right? It's, that's all it is. And the chain is only is as strong as its weakest link. So if something's off, it's, it's a whole chain reaction, right? So I, I agree completely. You know, your problem uh, may be in your back, but in reality, your foot posture is off. That's causing your knee to drift, which is causing your pelvis to tilt, which is causing the muscles in your back to tighten. So again, yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, we are, we are one big kinetic chain and uh, everything has to be optimal for us to function. Right.
0: And so to answer that question more specifically, I, I like to have my runners do, um, squats for one, uh, squats, deadlifts and carries. I think carries are important too. Um, is there anything that you, any exercises that you like to do in your, you know, what's, what's your favorite types of exercises that you do in your own personal life?
1: Oh, for me, you know, uh, I have very weak ankles. My left ankle is just extremely weak. I ruptured uh, way back in high school, and it's never really regained the strength it once had. And it's tough to strengthen uh, ligaments uh, of the ankle. So I tend to do a lot of ankle strengthening and mobilizing exercises for myself. <laughs> so it's not only increasing my proprioceptive balance, but working on the perineal muscles and the uh, medial ankle muscles to kind of create this internal splint. Right, Because for the longest time, every time I walked, my ankle would just give out. And I didn't understand why because I didn't gain the knowledge at that time. But now that I've advanced through school, I kind of have a deep understanding on why that's occurring. So uh, for me and my personal issues, ankle mobilization, ankle proprioception, and ankle strengthening exercises are part of my routine. Because I kind of already went through what it's like to rupture your ligaments, and it's not fun. So I I definitely want to avoid that at all costs. Sure.
0: Yeah, and, and this, you you definitely hit on something that I wanted to ask you about also. Um, and you just reminded me, um, you do seem to hit on proprioception online, um, yeah. talking about the importance of proprioception of the our you know of the foot and ankle specifically. You know what? Can you can you go into that a little bit? Why why do you feel that's yeah. so
1: important? And what do you do um, to improve that? Yeah. So proprioception is the way your body perceives itself in space. Some people have labeled it as your, your kind of natural sixth sense. So when you close your eyes, proprioception is your ability not to sway or move back and forth. And uh, anybody who's listening and closed their eyes and tried this, you'll kind of understand. Um, but proprioception is super crucial in just normal training. And I think it should be done pre-injury as well. Uh, research has shown that proprioceptive training in combination with injury will decrease the likelihood of uh, re-injuring the same area. So I think it's vital to include it before you even get injured because if we could avoid that, then that's ideal. Uh, you see a lot of players, especially basketball players, football players, this is where it becomes into play more than anything. Uh, when they're doing ankle cuts and uh, constant jumping and so forth, yes. to make sure you land appropriately, to make sure uh, you're dribbling or running off the right foot, That's all takes uh, time, balance, and training. So proprioception is super crucial in my in my world, uh, especially because the research just I think unanimously backs it. I I, I can't I, I've never come mm-hmm. across an article that says hey proprioception is not as important as one as we're led to believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, every every article, every robust study, every control study unanimously votes that uh, proprioceptive training should be included in one's rehab process. And for me, if someone has a, even a mild ankle sprain, a grade one ankle sprain, I tell them, hey, listen, you sprained your ankle for a reason. I'm not sure if it was lack of balance. I'm not sure if it was just an awkward position. But to make sure that this doesn't happen again and happens worse than what it did now, we should uh, take this with caution and work on passive range of motion, then graduate you to active range of motion. And then when you're strong enough, let's do some proprioceptive training. Make it part of your routine. And if you look at these basketball players like Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving, they have all these videos of them balancing on balls and and practicing proprioception because I, I think it's become now uh, a very common theme that it's important for one's uh, well-being or ankle health. Right. Did you see the LeBron
0: James shoes a couple of years back? with the He basically had a ball under each foot, but it was somehow attached to the shoe.
1: I did see that. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Uh, stuck yeah. out. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty funny. Um but yeah, I I definitely understand what you're saying. The uh I think that's that's a huge point that you made there and if if I could put that as my uh banner on my Facebook, I would. in that
1: <laughs>
0: you know that the proprioception has such a huge impact that people don't realize. We we think about strength all the time, but we don't always talk about proprioception, but Especially with recurring um if we want to get specific recurring uh ankle sprains mm-hmm. right i mean isn't thats yeah. not that uh, isn't that hasn't that been connected to hundred um, percent recurring yeah. ankle sprains more uh-huh.
1: than even uh-huh. strength of the muscles i mean yeah yep uh, no i so uh they did an article and they were looking at different factors and what caused recurrent ankle injuries. And I think they used uh, strength as one of the protocols, and then they used proprioception as one of the protocols, and they found no significant difference, meaning that proprioceptive training is just as important as when you're doing your strength training. So you're sitting there trying to work on your calf muscles or work on the muscles around the ankle joint, and if you're not doing proprioceptive training, you're cheating yourself. Sure. Um, so right. that's the reality. And I think if, if you're listening to this and your trainer or the person giving you advice hasn't included this in your regimen, uh, they're, they're cheating you of a, a great benefit.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And I end up explaining this to a lot of the people who come into in the clinic because when they come in, they expect to get, you know, a list of five strengthening
1: exercises with a band. Right. And I'm like, yeah. no that's not what we're doing today. <laughs> yeah. And it's tough. It's tough because it's not, it's just like you said, it's not over, even though in our world, we understand how important it is. Right. We understand that we just, no one's going to argue with you on that point. I think in the general public, it's not well uh, understood. Right. Um, so I, it's, uh, right. it's probably our mission to make sure that it is right. Right.
0: So, um, yeah, that's, that's great. I'm glad we got into that. Uh, Stuart uh, Joyce says static or dynamic stretches before and after a run. Um, Which ones are best in the length of, uh, let's see, length of required tapering to the length of race? That's a lot of questions, Stuart.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it may be even geared more to to your uh, realm. Yeah, I I think you're you're more equipped to just uh, give Stuart exactly what they want to hear.
0: I am interested to know. Uh, I'm a big believer in, in dynamic warm-ups as opposed to static stretches, um,
1: especially before a run. Um, I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on that. Have you? I, I love when, when I started reading about dynamic warm-ups, I said, oh, my God, why haven't we been doing this for all, all, all eternity? I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. It just makes sense, right? It, right. it really does. It, it, you know, our job as clinicians is to understand the science, Look at a, a new pattern or a new routine, and say, "Well, does that make sense?" and say, "Yeah, it does." Now mm-hmm. will some people find it not beneficial? Sure, but in, to our best judgment, that makes absolute sense, uh, and I think they both do. you know to say dynamic is superior to static or static is superior to dynamic, they both have their time and place, and they're both have benefits. Yeah doing static is bad for you you know and that's right right. that's what i don't like when the argument gets to when people debate about these things they're both good okay they're they're both good which one's best uh that's for you to find out you know but i I love dynamic i think that's great
0: right right and i usually do the static stretches after the run Mm -hmm. um but i know people who do static stretches beforehand um i guess what i have seen is that um there's some evidence that, that that static stretching beforehand can, can reduce your, um, sort of performance, uh, capabilities. So in terms of running fast and producing larger
1: amounts of force. Yeah. It it makes sense to me. I haven't seen that article, so I can't attest to it, but it does make sense. Yeah. I, I can imagine. Right. Yeah. And then, and then the
0: reason that I do static stretches afterwards is it just helps me to sort of calm down. Even if it's, even if it's not a a physiological change that's occurring in the muscle or, you know, to the nervous system, it just helps me to sort of transition into the next thing that I'm doing. Absolutely.
1: And that's what we talked about, right? Be your own judge, right? You know, uh, medicine, we try to generalize everything, but it's not as easy sometimes as, Hey, you have uh, a flu here, take this medicine. When it comes to physical medicine, it's not always a one size fits all. So for you, you you like that regimen. That works for you, and that's great. Now, if someone were to tell you they did the opposite, I can't imagine you would criticize them for it. If it works for them, then great. Exactly, right, exactly. Nothing is black and white. No, not when it comes to physical medicine, no,
0: not exactly. at all. Perfect. Um, yeah, Robert Ashcroft says, what, what do you think of foot spacers? Uh, I,
1: you know... Will it solve your problem? No. It's like putting a bandaid on the wound, right? So if your foot are hammer toed or you have bunions and they're really pressing against each other and you put a foot spacer, yeah, it'll alleviate the pain and pressure. Is it going to permanently fix your problem? No, I don't think so. All um, right. I know they advertise that. I've seen the advertisements and people will put before and after pictures. I've never seen it work in my personal experience.
0: Sure. Um, just to be play devil's advocate, what do you see as being sort of the difference between the foot spacers and, and uh, another sort of uh, physical assistant, such as like a, an, an orthotic? Uh,
1: the orthotic, so the orthotic's point in uh, bunions or hamatos are to disperse forces, right? So, you know, you're developing a bunion because of undue pressure or it could be hereditary. And your sneaker wear or your shoe gear is progressing the deformity further, faster than it should be. So the orthotic's purpose is to disperse the forces and kind of uh, hinder the progression of the deformity. Is it going to solve it? Maybe. Is it going to just hide the symptoms and mask them? That's, the pur- that's what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and I think foot, foot spacers probably do the same thing. But uh, it's, it, to me, it seems just unreasonable to wear a foot spacer for life. But if hey, if if you're trying to avoid surgery, that's good. That's good. No one's gonna go against it.
0: Okay, great answer.
1: Um,
0: Jennifer Walton says, "How do you prevent stress fractures?" That's a uh, complex answer. How much time do you have?
1: There is so <laughs> yeah, there is so much that goes into obtaining a stress fracture. Um, how to prevent them is to wear protective shoe gear. That's first and foremost, right? Because You know, we we all know for every action, there's a reaction. And when you're running and walking, don't think the ground isn't pushing up forces on your foot, right? So uh, they're called ground reactive forces and they absolutely uh, alter your bone density or they affect your bone density in some aspect. Uh, If you're wearing a less protective shoe gear or your fat pad is uh, less than average, those forces are higher. Uh, if you're wearing protective shoe gear or cushioned, those forces are a little more dispersed and fu- uh, buffered, so they're lower. But at the same time, you've got to look into your nutritional aspect. Are you getting enough calcium and vitamin D? Because if your bone density is lower than normal, then sure, you're more prone to get it than someone who uh, is well-nourished. There's so many factors that go into uh, stress fractures. I think uh, proper shoe gear uh, is on the top of my list. Uh, nutritional fracture, uh, nutritional factors as well as, uh, overuse. Um, so if you're accustomed to running five miles a day and now all of a sudden you're going to run 10 the next day, uh, you just left yourself more prone to, uh, getting a stress fracture. It, right. It's just a, a wide variety of things. Um, I hope that answers some of her questions and concerns. Yeah, that's, that's perfect.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Um, yeah, making sure you have the proper equipment is huge, right? So the footwear. Making sure that you're using, following smart training principles, um, and then your diet and nutrition. Yeah, I mean that's exactly how I would have said it. Um. So Stacy Lint uh, Schofield says, or Schofield, says, uh, always loose big and second toenail during my season. I think it's caused from wearing heels at work. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on heels. Um, More than my running shoes. Besides not wearing heels, is there anything else I can do to prevent this?
1: Yeah. So uh, runners always lose their nails. I mean, I volunteer yeah. at the marathons and I'm in the medical tents. I mean, they just get so used to it. You know, they come in uh, three, four of their toenails are gone and they're like, I right, you know, don't worry about it, doc. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, And the reality is because you run for such a prolonged period of time, if you have an ill-fitting shoe or the way your, your foot pattern is, if you're striking the front of the shoe constantly, that's going to cause your nail integrity to weaken and eventually fall off. Uh, you know, people have supplemented it with the biotin biotin is an essential pill that can help the integrity of the nail, but for sometimes, and for runners, especially sometimes it's unavoidable. And that's why I gave that little story because runners know, like I've tried everything and this just happens. Uh, but as far as the the heels is concerned, um, heels can be detrimental to your uh, foot health, especially if you're more prone to injuries than normal. Uh, obviously, wearing heels for small periods of times with an appropriate heel length, you can get away with things like that. Right.
0: So my my the last and probably my favorite question, uh, uh, Michael Devita, he says, "Does a podiatrist ever put his foot
1: in their mouth?" <laughs> that's uh, it's a very uh, academic question. Uh, He's a very yeah. academic person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very, uh, not to my knowledge. Uh, sorry to disappoint you, Michael. I'm not sure if you were hoping from some sort of uh, vivid uh, story, but uh, <laughs> not to my knowledge. And, uh, you know, coming from Brooklyn, I have a couple of things I'd like to say to you, but it's okay. We'll keep it uh, PG on this here. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, no, I can't. I don't, I don't know. No comment on that. Yeah,
0: yeah. He's, just, he's just that guy. You just got to know Mike. <laughs> oh, is it okay? I don't know him, but, yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh,
0: anyway, so that's all the questions. Uh, oh, I'm glad.
1: You. Oh, yes. we, can, we hit them all. That's great. Seventeen that's great. questions. Awesome, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm I, I hope I, I address them to your public and your audience. Thank them for reaching out uh, and making this a nice one. Thank you for having me. More than anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, are you, hopefully you can you have the the um, sort of energy still to go through the rest of your day now that you've kind of drained all your oh, thoughts
1: Absolutely. Oh, no, no. When, once you finish residency all this just seems like a walk in the park Oh really? <laughs> yeah so i'm okay i'm i'm ready great um any any final
0: sort of final thoughts that you'd like to leave with us any any um what's you know something important that you think that it, the biggest takeaway that you could give to our runners
1: Oh, you know, preach this all the time. Preventative medicine is the best medicine and the prevention will always be better than the cure. And what I mean by that is if you take care of yourself appropriately and give yourself the best chance to prevent yourself from ever being injured, that's the best thing you can do for yourself. Uh, Because once you do get injured, chances are it's not the same. We can help you recover and make sure you, you get better. But to a runner, that recovery period can be detrimental. If you break something or rupture something, I mean, the loss of endurance and muscle atrophy can really hinder your training. So prevention is the best medicine and the way to make sure that you uh, lessen your chances of injury is to get a proper evaluation.
0: Perfect. And as, if somebody wants to reach out, if they have additional questions or, you know, if if they just want to follow you on social media, what's where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so my Instagram handle is uh, at NYCFootDoc. Uh, I'm very, uh, very religious about responding to people's inquiries, whether it be through the email that's attached there or the direct messages. Uh, So feel free to contact me. I hope I answered everybody's questions. Uh, I can elaborate only so much on social media just because, uh, you know, it's not a personal one on one evaluation, but I will definitely try to steer people in the right direction. Perfect.
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate you coming on um, and being on the podcast. uh, So. I just want to say thank you very much to Dr. Muhammad Ramawi, um, a dietrist in New York city. And uh, I look forward to uh, hopefully maybe having you on again and going over some other things.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll get a few more questions. Maybe Michael will have a real question for us this time, you know,
0: (laughs) Uh, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't, (laughs) (laughs) we'll see. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't bet your house on it though. Uh,
1: Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: All right. Well, you take care and uh, have a good one.
1: Appreciate you, Cameron. All
0: right. You too. Take care. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Back on Track Fitness Podcast. We hope you found it helpful. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And check out running and weightlifting programs for athletes of all experience levels at backontracktherapy.com. Links are in the show notes. See you next time.